at the end? What's too short? How, how do you tell? Uh, That's too short, ah. too fast. Too fast, too short. To, who, who is the shadow part? Uh, where, where's, I don't see where the name fits. So, so, I don't know. It, it was good. I, to heck with the tradition, I loved it, personally. Radio Drone. Welcome to a Thursday night. It's Radio Drone. I said that with a questioning tone. I didn't mean to, but whatever. I'm Josh Hadley. We're not going to be doing 1979 this year. We'll be doing that next year, next episode. Shut up. This week, Cecil and Peter are both MIA, and this was planned, so I knew about this. So I had to dredge the depths of the internet to bring Fred Fritz on. I also don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Great. Now i got to play that song at the end of the show. Thanks. <laughs> Fred's going to be stepping in. We're going to be talking about the end, not the crappy movie. We're going to be talking about movie endings. We're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and I think the bigger question will be, can a bad ending ruin a good movie? Or can a good ending save a bad movie? But before that, there's happy endings. If you need a happy ending, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order. You'll get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping. Give yourself a happy ending. You deserve it. So, Fred, when you're asked about what you think are the best movie endings, what ones jump to your... What ones jump to the top of your list? What are some endings to movies that you absolutely love? Maybe they're really original, they're unique, you didn't see them coming, or they just work perfectly in the context of whatever the movie is. That's a little difficult uh, because there's so many great movies out there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's the thing, is that it because it's happy or profound or what? There's so many movies, you know, we're, we're talking about endings and that every movie has an ending. I'd have to say it's something that sticks with you is always what defines a good ending. I'm thinking about it a lot. The one that would come to my mind right off the bat is one that influenced me when I was younger, and that was One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. That was a film that just as a whole perplexed me growing up. That ending was just so profound, I never stopped thinking about it. I've looked at it over and over and over again, uh, just from many different points of view from each character that is within the story i mean then let me ask you this which ending because is this where injun joe smothers mcmurphy or the fact that mcmurphy for all of his lies and everything he tried to do ends up lobotomized so it's kind of got a the twist for mcmurphy and then the payoff for injun joe well, I think that it represents it represents something in endings I really like because obviously downer endings are something that really can frustrate and tick people off. And I don't see One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest as a complete downer ending. Murphy's death at the end is tragic and sad, and it's it's obviously part of the story that the system wins. But then the chief picks up the sink, crashes through the wall, and gets away giving us a little hope, too. Uh, so I'm going to say both together. Uh, I think they, they work together. So it, that's the part of it that's always sort of stuck with me. Then I guess the broader question is, how important is the ending to a film? I mean, to me, I can't even count how many times I've been watching a movie that I'm enjoying the hell out of. And then, and then the last 20 minutes completely fall apart whether it's studio interference, whether the story, they didn't know where to go with it or whatnot, and that always, to me, sours the rest of the film. To me, a bad ending on a good movie taints the entire movie, and I can't even count how many movies that that's happened to where the third act completely falls apart. Does a bad ending affect a good movie for you? Can it taint a good movie? 
yes, uh, it can definitely it can destroy the whole experience of the film. There's a movie that Kurosawa did, and I, I know people would probably argue uh, whether or not the ending was good or not. Uh, but it's a movie called The Bad Sleeps Well, or The Bad Sleep Well, excuse me. The movie was just a gem. I, I, I didn't know this one. You know, this isn't like Seven Samurai or those type of films. Watched it with a friend. And the ending is such a downer and it's so abrupt that it did destroy the rest of the movie for me. It just felt too abrupt, too just nihilistic. And I thought that the rest of the story was completely destroyed because of it. Because like a, a big major example recently would be Fan Four Stick. When mm-hmm. Fan Four Stick came out, now obviously we've never seen Josh Trank's version of Fan Four Stick. One of the reasons he was taken off the movie and all of the reshoots were done, extensive reshoots, was according to Fox, his movie had no ending. And now how much that means is like, did it just kind of abruptly end? Did it go nowhere? We don't know. But when you watch Fan Four Stick, it's 90 minutes of of build up, 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 build up to a 10 minute fight that goes nowhere. And the ending feels so abrupt, so rushed and tonally doesn't fit with the rest of the film. That's where most of the reshoots were. It makes you go, what the hell just happened? It feels like two different movies have been mushed together. Do you think obviously without us having seen Josh Trank's version, Fox maybe made the right call by giving it an ending or did they make a bad film even worse probably by abruptly shoehorning in this obviously and very poorly reshot ending? I mean, you just got to, you just got to look at Kate Mara's hair and you can tell exactly which scenes were in the reshoots and which scenes were not. That Mm -hmm. wig is as fake as the fake baby in American Sniper. I don't know (laughs) how Fox thought they could get away with these, these shots don't match at all. Yeah, with the Fantastic Four uh, reboot. Call it what it is, Fan Four Stick. That's how you they go write ahead. it. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> you go right ahead. I, it's 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 not a good movie. I, I don't know if it's as bad as everybody says it is, but since I have no reverence for the original Fantastic Four, that might be why I didn't think it was quite as bad as everybody else did. But that that last third was painful. And without seeing Josh's vision, I don't think we have a complete vision of the film. I don't think we know exactly what he was trying to do, what he was trying to say, because we're talking about how an ending can ruin the rest of the movie for us. But an ending can actually change the way you look at a not-so-good movie. And an example that came to mind while I was thinking of this is uh, the Robert Altman take on The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould. I'm a huge detective nut. I love detective stories, especially Raymond Chandler. And this movie was so frustrating for me. I was frustrated watching the whole film. I was just like, oh, it's, it was annoying to me, the way that people talked over each other. It just seemed to just meander and go nowhere. But that ending was so sharp and pointed and good. It actually was, it's not the ending of the book. And it made the film better as a whole. So without seeing Josh Trink's ending, uh, I, I just I don't feel like we can ever give that film a fair shake. OK, then what about when the ending when the movie just abruptly ends and it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel organic with the rest of the film? Have you seen the Peter Hyams movie Capricorn one? Yes, I, it, I don't know if I'll remember it vividly, but yes, I do. I did see it and I remember it being kind of a an abrupt ending. Yeah, it's it, it's it's very paced. It's it's a very. You know, it's a conspiracy thriller, and you're going through this, and you're following the astronauts and the conspiracy to kill them and fake the Mars landing and all this. And it's about an hour and 25 minutes of a very paced, seven, you know, very late 70s, early 80s movie. And then all of a sudden, it seems like 30 minutes of footage has been crammed into the last five minutes, and then the credits come up, and you go, okay, I guess the movie's over. It wrecks the movie because the ending just kind of comes out. But like I said, it feels like like there was 30 minutes of footage that they edited into five. Yeah. uh, Endings are interesting because sometimes you wonder if when they get these screenplays, if they're they are complete. That's something we don't always know. You know, if anybody's written a story, if you've ever sat down and wrote a story, beginning, middle, and end, you know that the a good ending is hard. I, I mean, a good story is hard. When you really, if you want a good story, you have to take your time. It has structure. It has flow. You know, the characters have, each 
line of dialogue has some meaning, even if it's just a throwaway to make the reader laugh. There's meaning to it. Okay, we need levity here. There's levity. And an ending is the summation of the story. An interesting example, I saw, did you see Birdman, the Michael Keaton movie? I have not seen that yet. Everybody I've talked to about this film seems to think the same thing, that there's a there's a moment. I, how how spoilery are we going to get here? <laughs> We're talking about movie endings, okay? Bruce Willis is a ghost. Vader is Luke's father. It's okay. with Earth all the time. Come on. All right, well, warning everybody, I'm going to give this one away. Uh, Birdman at the end has Keaton on stage, gives one of the greatest performances of this particular actor's life, and then he shoots himself. The camera pans up. You think this is the ending of the movie. And it's not. It then goes into a hospital scene. He actually survived. Then there's this weird bit where it's him talking to like his family. And then he basically, and there's a scene where he sees Birdman in the, the mirror and all this. But he goes to the window, jumps out the window. His daughter comes running to the window, looks down in horror, but then looks up. And we see her eyes go wide. And that's the end of the movie. Boom. So did she see his dead body at the bottom? couldn't handle it and then imagined him flying or did he really fly away at the end it's interesting on this ending because if you watch the making of this was not the ending of the film and they had multiple possible endings and the funny thing is is where keaton shot himself would have probably been the best ending of the movie you know just pan up movie's over that's it they've shot multiple versions they had this one ending they were going to do where keaton walks backstage and sees johnny depp as jack sparrow and oh it's a just a movie, everybody. Oh, that would have been horrible. And I didn't like the ending to the movie. I didn't like the ending it had. I didn't like the endings they talked about. I don't. Sometimes it perplexes me how you put millions of dollars into something and you don't have an ending ready. You you brought up how ending of it's just a movie would have pissed you off. What about when they do that? Is that a cop out ending, or is that something? Is that something more layered? Like, have you ever seen the, the Caroline Monroe, Joe Spinell movie, The Last Horror Movie? No, it's it's on my list. It's from 1980, so we're talking about over a 30-year-old movie here. The twist is it's a slasher film, and the twist is it's a slasher film. The characters are watching the slasher film that the characters had just made, but you had no indication of that up until the very end, when all of a sudden it's like, oh, it was a slasher movie the whole time. To me, that, that, that that's a cop-out ending. On the other hand... Did you ever see, not the crappy remake from a few years ago, 1986's April Fool's Day? Yes, I love that ending. But go back and read reviews from when that first came out. That was considered a cop-out of an ending. It's a slasher film, but you think it's a heavily censored slasher film because every time a character is about to get slashed, the camera pans away. So you start to think, oh, God, the MPAA really took this one and, you know, had its nuts in the grinder and everything. The twist at the end is it was all a fake. The characters didn't know it, but they were the test subjects for like a, a murder weekend kind of thing on a on like a remote island. And the twist is it was all fake all along, but the characters didn't know it until their character, quote, got killed. I think it's a brilliant ending. And I, it is kind of set up. You do kind of see clues throughout the movie, but audiences at the time saw that as a cop-out. And, and there, again, see, that's the problem sometimes is I think studios, they wrestle with that. Uh, you can't help but wonder what if that ending had been changed and we never knew about that, end, you know, the ending where it turns out it was all just a setup. How would we have felt about the movie? I, I personally think it would have become, it would have just been forgotten. It would have been another slasher film in a long line of slasher films. And that ending is what makes it stand out. You want to talk about manipulated, uh, manipulative endings. I think we can't walk away from this without talking about Brian De Palma. And there's two films that stand out in my mind. One has, I think, a profound ending. The other, I think, is garbage. Let's talk about the garbage one real quick. Body Double. There's your cop-out ending. I hated that ending. And we said earlier what endings ruined a movie. That ending. He was having a claustrophobic fever dream. That's that's the most pointless, meaningless thing ever. Whenever a movie pulls the whole, it's it was all a dream thing or a TV show or anything, there's only one instance of that ever happening on TV show where I said, okay, not only production-wise do I know why you did that, but it actually makes sense in the story, and that would be married with children. Usually that is a straight-up cop-out for we got in over our heads and we need a way out. Yeah, we, we, we have no solution. The good one, however, is Blowout, 
which is a movie, when I first saw it, that ending perplexed me. And I almost feel like we shouldn't give it away <laughs> on this one, uh, just in case this generation hasn't seen it. But let's just say you know what it's about. You've seen Blown Out, right? Not, not in a long time. All right, well, then we'll give it away. Sorry, everybody. Uh, Travolta and Nancy Allen face off against the killer, and she dies. And not only does she die, but he's got her wired, and her horrific screams are caught on the recording. And in the movie, John Travolta, he's he's a, a sound effects engineer for movies. And the end of the film has him uh, working for the studio. They've been looking for just the right scream because their lead actress has a terrible scream. And he uses the real scream of Nancy Allen for the movie. And as they're watching the scene, the execs are really happy with the scene and John Travolta is just covering his ears and freaking out as as the screen plays out and I was always perplexed by this ending I was like I, I don't get what you're trying to say here what is this why would he use it what happened and then it hit me that De Palma who has been criticized for violence his entire career he's actually making a statement at the end of the movie he's saying real death is far more horrific than any of this fantasy and once I realized that the movie changed for me it that's an ending that some people have called it a cop-out. I think it's rather profound. Well, what about when you look back at a film, when the ending fundamentally changes how you look at other aspects of the film, whether it was stuff that they'd laid groundwork for or not? Knowing, say, the twist ending when you go into a movie or there's maybe the second time you're seeing a movie, if you know the twist and you're looking for it, does that help? Like Fight Club. I, I had known about the book before I saw the movie, so I already knew Tyler and Jack were the same person. So the first time I saw Fight Club in the theater in 99, I was looking for all of the clues because I didn't know if you know if they were going to use the book's ending or not. But if you didn't know Jack and Tyler were the same person, does that ending make you go, what the fuck? Or does it make you go, actually, that all makes sense now? Obviously, I hate to say that it's, it's the political answer, but it depends on the movie. And in the case of the movie you're talking about, some movies I can watch over and over and over again, even with the twist ending. And then there are others I find I get two viewings out of them. The initial viewing, of course, where you get the first overall experience. And then the second viewing where you go back, you watch it, you look for the clues, you're paying better attention. For me, Fight Club is mostly in that category. It's a two-view movie. I watch it once, get the experience, I watched it again, and I felt as if that's it. I get it. I got it all. And I'll, I'm not saying I'll never watch it because then the rest of it comes down to, hey, were the characters interesting? Was the dialogue good? It's like comedy. Comedy is a great example of what you're talking about. Once you've seen Blazing Saddles, how many times can you watch Blazing Saddles again? Once you know something vividly, I mean, every joke is a surprise, right? That's the nature of a joke. Once you know it, there's got to be something else that carries you through the film. And it, to go back and rewatch it, I mean. So if the acting's really good, if the dialogue's really good, if the story's really good, or there's just something that magical, undefined something, we'll just keep going back over and over. I know people that watch Fight Club annually, sometimes three, four times a year. So for some, it seems to be that kind of movie. For me, it was just twice. What about when you have a mind fuck movie, or as Wes Craven would call it, a rubber reality movie, mm -hmm. where physics and time and even logic don't really have a place. Can you really just do whatever you want? For instance, like Videodrome. I think Videodrome, the ending it has works. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, and they didn't never shot this, but Cronenberg's original ending, because remember, he was writing the movie as they were filming it. So they were essentially making up Videodrome as, as they went along. The original ending would have had, because remember James Woods, Max Wren, had that vagina in his chest where he put the beta tape, right? The original ending was supposed to have a penis on the end of Debbie Harry's hand, and then she was supposed to have sex with him and give birth to a new race of humans, long live the new flesh. New flesh, yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and he decided at the last minute, they had the prosthetics ready and everything, and he decided at the last minute, no, 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 no wait, I, I got a better idea. Let's do this. When you do that, does that help or hurt an ending? Because like to me, both of those endings of Videodrome Considering the way the movie plays out, I think the, the scrapped ending could have worked just as well. It would have kind of gotten to the same place, wouldn't it have? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, that movie is so weird. It's 
boy, how do I want to say this? That's one of those films that it's in the director's head. It's his world. It's like David Lynch. You know, when you watch a David Lynch movie, you're in David Lynch's mind. You're in his world. It's his rules. Everything applies. And the reason I say yes and no is because, well, I like the ending as it is. I, I like it. But yes, because it's Cronenberg's film. If we had never seen the ending it has, it went with this other ending. It still fits. It doesn't destroy anything he set up before. I think it's safe to say with many movies, there could be multiple endings. You know, it's, it, what's the expression? The uh, it's not the uh, the it's not the destination. It's the journey. Most movies are like that. Let's be honest. It, a lot of endings are not what you'd call necessarily powerful. They just end in a way and you feel it's complete. You're content with that ending. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is one of my all-time favorite movies. For a three-hour-plus movie, I can watch that thing over and over, and I never grow tired of it. Is The, you know, the ending's not particularly profound to that movie. Would you Would you agree? I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's it a fun ends. ending. What's that? It just kind of ends. Yeah, it kind of ends. You know, he's Tuco's hanging. Blondie turns around, shoots the rope. So Tuco doesn't die. Of course, you know, you're not going to have Clint Eastwood kill Tuco. And he just runs off, and he, you know... You know what, Blondie? You're a son of a... And that's the end of the movie. It's just a cute ending. You know, you could have ended that in multiple ways to make it profound. The ending's fine. It works. It's a great movie. It's a good three-hour-plus film. It's really enjoyable. With Cronenberg, I think it's in Cronenberg's head. <laughs> it can be whatever he wants it to be. And you have to say, that's it. Real quick, when you even brought this up, it made me think of the first movie that came to my head was a movie I don't care for. And that's Inception. The rules are whatever the director makes it. And Inception to me, forgive forgive me for those of you who lo love the movie, I think it's fluff. I, I, I think it's just a self-congratulatory, you know, I wish I could remember the expression, but something about... It's, you know, the, the, way, the way I look at Inception is, it's a pseudo-profound movie that keeps patting itself on the back for its entire runtime about how clever itself is. Well, there's a thing about... You know, movie directors love talking about directing movies, and uh, I, I think that's the basic of the expression. But that's what Inception really is to me. It's just him saying, oh, uh, we can manipulate you. So here's a movie where I'm manipulating you, if you get what I mean. That's the joke. You know, he's oh, in a dream. Do you ever notice that you never know how a character arrives somewhere? And then throughout the whole film, boom, you know, there they are just standing in a classroom. No beginning, no end. Talking about the nature of dreams in film and that he has the control over you. And what's the last shot of the film? The stupid top. Why is everybody profoundly discussing about or why is that ending profound? Because he's telling you he's manipulating you. And that's the joke. You'll never know if the top falls or it kept spinning because he's not telling you. That's the joke that there's nothing to that film. I don't care for the characters. I'll never revisit again. I've seen it twice. I'll never see it again, and I don't want to see it again. It's not a very good – well, but then I, I, I don't like Christopher Nolan. I can't think of a single film of his I've liked. So. Right. It just – this goes back to what you said, though, about Fight Club. I'd watch Fight Club again. That has interesting characters. That has interesting scenes. Inception is just, look what we can do because movies can do this, you know. He thinks he's being clever, and he's not. When the filmmaker, or in the case I'm about to bring up, TV director or TV producer manipulates you – in a way that makes sense in the story. Because it's different when you have a rubber reality movie and you're being manipulated, because then you kind of know you are. Mm -hmm. What about when the story is so clever that you're manipulated without realizing you're being manipulated? There's a season five Miami Vice episode. It pissed me off. It's a 49-minute episode, and it pissed me off for the first 45 minutes. I was thinking this was one of the worst episodes of the series because of how much it was pissing me off. And then when the twist came in the last five minutes, not only was that twist so logical, but I went, son of a bitch, you've been setting me up all along, and I went for it. The plot is essentially Crockett and Tubbs have to protect uh, a punk rock kid who witnessed a mob hit as he's testifying against the mob in two days. And the kid is so stupid, he doesn't believe his life is in danger. He keeps breaking out of the ho the safe house to go to a punk rock club where a hit almost goes down, and then he contacts his girlfriend, and a hit almost goes down. And I'm like, this is so stupid. This kid is making every dumb decision, and Crockett and Tubbs are being led along the way. I'm like, this is so poorly written. And then the twist at the end is the kid 
was an undercover FBI agent, 21 Jump Street style, there as a decoy for the mob to try and hit so the real kid could testify safely. And I went, son of a bitch, son of a bitch, you got me. That ending makes perfect sense, and it puts all of the other stuff in the episode into a perfect context. That episode manipulated me, and that ending saved an episode that I thought I was going to hate. The idea of being manipulated in a way that eventually you see as good, to me, is... Well, one obvious one would be Usual Suspects. I won't talk about it, but I think a lot of people know that ending and the Kaiser Soze and... It was Kaiser Soze, and he was lying the whole time. The whole thing was made up. You don't even know what the truth is. And that's kind of neat. I know some people that are really pissed off about that ending, though, but it, that's the side thing. Uh, the filmmakers, the Coen brothers, I think are a great example of being manipulated and not always knowing it. I had seen the movie Miller's Crossing, and I loved it. It was one of my all-time favorite films. It still is one of my all-time favorite films. We could even discuss the meanings and ending of that movie. But the film that came after it was Barton Fink. And when I saw Barton Fink, I was still on that Miller's Crossing high. I didn't like Barton Fink when I first saw it. I, it's a well-made movie, and I caught that. I just didn't enjoy it. And the ending was part of that reason. I was like, that was a stupid ending. It wasn't until later I started that movie. You know, it was like that splinter in your mind. And it didn't leave me. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And this is one of those examples, unlike Inception, where I think that being manipulated and the layers were very important and it's led me to my own personal take on the film. If you remember, there are people dying throughout the movie. They're being murdered. And it turns out the guy in the room next to him at the hotel, which is John Goodman, is a killer. Uh, was it Man Man, Madman Murdoch or something? I forget his name. I apologize. But it was, it was Mad Dog. Mad Dog something. I think it was Mad Dog Murdoch. He turns out to be this psycho killer. And then there's uh, this weird shootout between Goodman and the cops. And then the hotel starts catching on fire. Like cracks are appearing in the wall. And then Barton Fink just walks out during the battle and ends up on a beach sitting with a box. And the question everybody always asks is, well, what's in the box? What's the significance of the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? You can't, you can't ignore that one, can you? Uh, <laughs> and everybody's like questioning, well, what's in the box? And I think they've kind of missed. I did. I think we've all missed what's really happening here. That's not the important question. The box is a distraction. And I personally think because um, most people have noticed that this scene of him on the beach is a picture on the wall in his hotel room and it's even photographed the same exact way and i really think that the answer if you think about it is that john goodman was not the killer barton fink is the villain of barton fink he's the killer he's the bad guy and if you go back and you rewatch the movie there are tons of clues that lead to this one john goodman just seems like a good-natured guy that's it then later he's practically a different character when the cops first come to visit Barton and they're asking him all these questions, I mean, they are giving him a grilling. They don't they obviously don't like him. They're talking to him as if they believe he's guilty. Now, the next time they come back and talk to him, they're completely different. They're nice. They they bring out this guy about mad dog killer and they show him a picture. It's, you know, John Goodman. It's all in Barton's head. The whole thing's in Barton's head. And I think at the end. That picture on the wall, the, the hotel never caught on fire. He's sitting in his room, just reality. He's lost all touch with reality. And he's just staring at that picture. Along those same lines, to go to a sci-fi movie, it's weird to think of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie as psychological, but Total Recall. You realize that really the ending, Quaid has been lobotomized, and the entire second half of the film took place inside his head. Every single thing plays out exactly like he's told it will if the scenario goes bad. And then it does that flash to white, and then the credits come up. So Total Recall is a weirdly psychological film, which I, I, I give all to Paul Verhoeven, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with the lobotomized part of that. You could infer that if you wanted. I think that the, 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 the guess is, no, I know what you're talking about. The guy earlier talks about being lobotomized. I do think, though, they lay a lot of a bread trail that, that this is exactly the experience he asked for, though, at recall. I think that that's the question at the end. I don't think lobotomized is part of it, though. I, we'll just say I disagree on that one. 
Well, what about because you know I made the joke about seven. What about forced happy endings when mm-hmm. the movie doesn't have one? For instance, with seven, we all know the what's in the box scene and she's dead and she was pregnant and you know John Doe gets killed by Mills and all that. New Line told Fincher he cannot shoot that ending. It has to be changed. Fincher and thankfully Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman backed him up. They said if we shoot a happy ending, we will leave this film. If you do not shoot this ending, we walk. And the new line actually considered it, according to the commentary on the Laserdisc, considered it for almost a week before they finally said, fine, you can have the, the bad, you know, what they called the bad ending. Why, why do studios especially demand happy endings? Why does the hero have to get the villain? The guy has to get the girl, the guy job that they've been working for. Why the forced happy ending? I mean, it's one thing if you're having like a happy-go-lucky comedy and, you know, you know, like Clerks wouldn't have made sense with the whole Dante getting killed ending. It wouldn't have fit. But then to have a forced happy ending, doesn't that wreck the film itself? Yes. And there it comes, just like April Fool's Day is the great example that we've already brought up. That's a happy ending, but it works. It's not a forced happy ending. It it's it turns out the whole movie was this thing it was part of the story it worked as a whole let's look at one of the greatest stories probably ever ever written of mice and men that is one of the biggest downers out there but you cannot have that story with a happy ending you can't there's no point to it i mean plus it even diffuses the concept the best laid plans of mice and men its story is its ending it's all makes sense by the end of it Certain films are like that, and that's Seven. Seven is one of those films. If it had had a happy ending, that's it. It would have just been a happy ending. It would have diffused the rest of the story, and it wouldn't have been as memorable. And, you know, people may have talked about the look and the acting and some of that, but I do think it would have been forgotten, and the ending has made it memorable. I think studios think if it has a happy ending, that's going to get them repeat dollars. You know, it'll it'll be the next Raiders or whatever. Maybe that's a bad example, but then let's go to what film nerds have as one of the most famous happy ending versus downer ending ever, Brazil. You've got Terry Gilliam's ending where he gets lobotomized and Robert De Niro does not save him and he ends up being tortured to death. But then you have the studio's theatrical released ending, which they call the happily ever after ending. He gets rescued by De Niro, and he gets the girl, and he lives happy. And Terry Gilliam took his name off that version. What about the endings of Brazil? To me, happy ever after ending does not work at all. First of all, it's totally wrong for the film. It doesn't make any sense for the film, and it's so abrupt it feels like what it is. The studio going, no, you will not kill him. Well, uh, again, this falls into that category of the the tonal structure of the story. What is the story about? And the story is about oppression. And that ending, the idea that he dreams of being rescued, and it turns out not to be a rescue, it's obviously the occurrence of Owl Creek Bridge concept, you know, where the man's in the last minutes of his life. Yeah, the entire last half hour take place inside his head. Yeah, inside of his head. But that's the concept of hope. See, the one thing about this film is that you can't kill hope. You can kill the person, but you can't kill hope. It's about oppression. And these this society, people have allowed this oppressive society to take over. That's the point of the story. (laughs) If he lives and it's a happy ending, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense, and you destroy the rest of the film. But there's also the concept about dreams and about hope. And if anything did save us, or eventually would save us, it's the hope. It's not the actual rescue of a, the, the life, the idea that you can't kill the human spirit. And that's the one thing they fail at. They succeed in killing the man, but they didn't kill his hope. You would lose that if you change that ending, and you destroy the rest of the movie. Another one that almost had a studio-forced ending was To Live and Die in L.A. Mm. The ending where Chance does not die, and they both get exiled to an Alaska an Alaska Secret Service station where they happily live out the rest of their careers. That ending has been shot. It's on the DVD, and William Friedkin and William Peterson both threatened to take their names off the film if the studio went with that ending that they forced them 
to use. Because that movie, Chance has to die. That's the entire point of that movie. That's the entire buildup is Chance has to die and that mad about you guy whose name fell out of my head right now, he is becoming the new Chance. That Chance completely corrupted him because he was a by-the-book guy at the beginning of the movie. He's been corrupted, and he's become Chance after seeing what Chance did. Yeah, uh, I've never seen that DVD ending, the alternate, and I'm glad. To Live and Die in L.A. is a movie that's a little special to me. Now, you know this, but real quick for your audience, uh, this was a, a very hard R movie that my father took me to see. Uh, we had to get both get permission from my mom. <laughs> and that ending just... When Chance gets his face blown off, I I honestly didn't know what happened for about a minute. I It was so quick, and just, it happened. And there's it's, still 20 minutes of the movie left. Right, and there's 20, and I had to lean over to my dad. Is, is he dead? And my dad was like, oh yeah, he, his face is on the floor. And that never left me. Never. I've never forgotten that, and it's made that movie kind of special to me. That film's storyline is about the cycle of violence. And like you said, if he, he has to die. He has to die for the next level to occur. If he doesn't die, well, I didn't see that ending you talked about, but you said they end up in Alaska. Talk about losing the point of what the story is. It's a cycle of violence. And there's, there's a weird kind of, how do I want to say this? It's, it's a downer, and yet there's also an element of hope in it, which might sound strange, but there's that element of we need these people. Okay, there's always going to be a William Defoe, right? So we kind of always need a chance, and it's it's how you look at it. it. It's it's a it doesn't work the other way. You lose all that nuance, that darkness, that cycle of violence. It it's it would be forgotten again. It would just be eh, cop thriller. That's it. Okay, what about when when an ending would have changed an entire franchise or in the case I'm about to bring up, halted a franchise. First Blood. The original, the ending of the book is John Rambo commits suicide, and they shot that ending. Mm -hmm. Test audiences hated it, so we got the ending that we all know from First Blood. To me, that story, the whole point of, the, of First Blood was that he was so, John Rambo was so broken, he could not be fixed anymore, that there was no saving him. So to me, to have him not die robs the movie of its point because they're saying no you can be saved and i know we all want to say yes we can save every person but let's face it in early 80s america with the vets coming back from nam and the treatment they were getting a lot of these people took their own lives because they couldn't be saved or they felt they couldn't john rambo has to die he cannot just give up and be arrested otherwise the movie is pointless he has to die because he is a broken piece of equipment. He's a broken weapon. And all you can do is smelt it down and start another one. Here is where I will deviate. I will disagree on this one. Uh, unlike To Live and Die in L.A. or Seven, uh, I've said throughout the whole thing, the, this sets up the entirety of the film. And I agree with your point of view. I see it. Uh, he's a broken person. Just in this case, and maybe it's because I have seen the alternate ending in this case, think it was a good ending the way it was filmed I, I mean just the way it was executed in other words <laughs> executed. Uh, -boom it doesn't work in my opinion in this case and I don't find it profound either I think that in this case everything that needs to be said was already said therein lies the difference his dying at the end I, I don't honestly think it would have made it any more profound is what I'm trying to say we're gonna we're, and I'm removing the concept of the sequels they weren't thinking of sequels yet. I mean, Hollywood always wants sequels, but that wasn't the concept yet. So I'm just looking at First Blood as one movie. Let's say there was never a sequel. I don't think his dying makes the movie any better. I don't think it changes anything. I like the way this one ends. I don't see it as a happy ending. You know, he goes to prison. He's shot up a town and shot up a sheriff. I mean, it's not necessarily a happy ending. I don't think you need him to die in that one. That's just me on that one. Well, we have to talk about twist endings. Yeah. There are, there are obviously good twists and bad twists. And we've talked about some of them where, you know, you didn't realize you were being manipulated and you're like, aha. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, a twist ending is so ubiquitous that 
a movie takes crap if it doesn't have a twist ending, especially a horror or a sci-fi film. Oh, horror films. There's a discussion. They have to have a twist ending now where audiences won't accept them. Yet when you're looking for a twist ending, that kind of nullifies the twist then, doesn't it, if you know it's there? And I think that's part of the problem is if you don't have a twist ending, you failed. If you do have a twist ending, you failed. And sometimes the twist can be legitimately good. I mean, you've got people who were masters at it. Rod Serling was the master of a twist ending. Yeah, sometimes he was kind of obvious and you could see it coming a mile away. How many Twilight Zone and Night Gallery episodes did you actually not see the last minute coming and you went, all right then. You know, Rod Serling was a master at that. M. Night Shyamalan, not so much. This is something I've thought about. This is one thing that maybe being a slightly older person talking about this and having seen so many movies from so many countries, so many TV shows, you can become a bit jaded and a bit cynical because you start to recognize all the possible endings. But even when I was younger to more so now, I find I don't like twist endings. I didn't care for them when I was younger and I care for them even less now. There's so few that work. I, I, I think that if you made a master list and you spent a week on it, you know what I'm talking about? Like really got in there and looked at every twist ending ever done. I think you'd be shocked to find it, there's not a lot of good ones. And you, what you brought up is the greatest example of good because Twilight Zone were short stories. And you're in and you're out. So it works great for a short story. For a movie, not as much. But even in the short story ones, eh, some of the twist endings didn't blow me away. I tended to like the episodes that were more about people. The famous one with Robert Redford as death outside the door, the old woman's door. Or one of my favorite Outer Limits episodes was uh, The Shape of Things to Come. Uh, Sorry, The Forms of Things Unknown. I apologize. I completely botched that. (laughs) The Forms of Things Unknown. Again, no twist ending, just a solid story with characters. But then... But then look at, now this wasn't a Rod Serling one, this was a Richard Matheson one, he was also a master at this. Mm-hmm. Look at like an episode like The Invaders of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. That episode is so masterfully manipulative that I can't imagine what 1950s audiences thought when that ending came up. Almost a completely single performance by Agnes Moorhead as a mute woman in an isolated shack being attacked by little robot invaders. The twist is... The invaders are us. The invaders are robot-suited astronauts from the future landing on a distant planet. She's the f***ing alien that we've been following the whole time, and we're the invaders. It was so brilliant. I can't imagine what 1950s audiences thought of that. When that, that was, That's original if you saw it today. Yeah, that, that is a good ending. Uh, you know what that reminds me of? Uh, one, another good one that was that kind of twist. You, you you don't see it till the very end. You don't understand exactly what this episode's telling you till the end. And I, I hope I got the name right. I think it's called The Monsters on Maple Street. Or the, monsters are due on, on, the, the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. That's Yeah, that's it. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, where the twist is very similar to what you just said about the invaders. The end has these pe- the, the whole people are freaking out. The monsters are coming. The monsters are coming. And guess what? We are the monsters. And you got to see the episode to know exactly what we're talking about on that one, people. <laughs> but, it's a very much human monster. Yes, exactly. But, it's, but then, it's about how the evil we are capable of. Twist ending just comes out of nowhere, and it's not been set up, and it's just a aha kind of ending. Mm-hmm. Is that just a cheap cop-out? Yes. I, I think we all hate those. We all see horror movies do that a lot. Uh, the, you, you brought up about horror movies earlier. I think horror movies are that example of it just seems like we're caught in a rut on those. And you know what? I think horror fans are slightly responsible for that, too. You know, they was oh, they've got to have a downer ending. It's got to be a dark, depressing ending. Well, no, it doesn't. It depends on what the story is. And now we have what what is the thing Cecil always talks about? The, the bagool, you know, bagool, the, the surprise shot the camera. Ending. Yeah. Ha! And we just. It's that's where I guess that falls into that. The audiences are a little more guilty because the studio is only going to do what they think makes money at the end of the day. These paranormal movie, well, paranormal activity movies and all of those keep making money over and over. No matter what they release, you have to kind of blame audiences on that one a little bit. 
But what about when the audience get, is given too much power? For instance, the endings that, quote, let the audience decide what happened. Like even we'll go back to Total Recall. You and I disagreed on that. Paul Verhoeven's very open that he can let the audience decide whether the second half of the movie really happened or didn't. Even like, like TV shows, like, like The Sopranos. That finale, that was David Chase being not original and unique. That was David Chase being so scared that because he knew if he killed Tony Soprano, he would take crap from all the fans. He knew if he didn't kill Tony Soprano, he would take crap for all the fans. So he just does the setup, does the cut to black, and then literally did the, you decide what happened next. I went, you know what I decide? F*** you. That was a goddamn cop-out ending. The outsmarting yourself scenario. We see TV shows really are a whole other monster uh, because you just encapsulated the whole thing with what happened on The Sopranos. I, you know, we would just be repeating it on different shows. They're so scared of how to end shows. Like TV has so long, so many TV shows have gone without endings. I swear it's like they don't know how to end something. <laughs> From Miami Vice, which you brought up, The Sopranos, uh, a more recent one that people really hate is uh, the serial killer, uh, Dexter. That, uh, oh my God. That, horrible, well, horrible. Not, that whole last season was terrible, but they yes. could have they could have saved it without turning him into a fucking lumberjack. Yeah, and there you go. I, the whole that whole season was bad. That show kind of started to go off the rails earlier. You can see they you can see they didn't always know what to do because there's only a handful of books. And by the time now they the got series to the doesn't end, follow the books anyway, so right. Well, that's that's to it also. That's what I'm saying. There's just there was only so much that can go. And producers, here's the evil of that. They just want to make their money. They don't care if they run it into the ground. They just say, oh, once it's run into the ground, that's it. We've milked it. Let it die. We don't care. What's the next hit? That's it. That's the problem. And I can only imagine what's going to ha happen to the fans of Games of Thrones, a Game of Thrones. <laughs> Can a terrible final or last couple of seasons wreck amazing earlier seasons? I gotta go to Battlestar Galactica. I adored seasons one through three. I thought this was so shockingly good. It was easily the best show on TV at the time. And then season four happened. Not just the entirety of season four, which was bad in and of itself, but that finale where Starbuck turns out to be an angel They've been sent by God to basically kickstart the human race on Earth, and the whole series prior to this was taking place, you know, thousands of years in the past. I went, fuck you, series. And I can't even go back and watch the, quote, good seasons anymore because of how much I know that last season wrecked that show for me. It wrecked mm -hmm. the entire show. I even sold my DVDs. I'm like, I'm done with this show because of that finale. Just one giant, oh my gosh, train wreck. Well, but, but you also have for Battlestar Galactica, you've got the fact that none of season four was set up. It all just kind of came out of nowhere, and you went, what the hell? And that brings me to my, to my last point for this episode. What about last second what the hell endings? Sometimes they can be amazing, like Christmas Evil. The last 15 seconds of that movie make make an okay i mean it was a good psychological thriller up to that point but they make an okay psychological thriller a goddamn classic for that just by the last 15 seconds craziest endings are attached to a crazy movie so when you have a, a normal film just end on pure insanity it, it can be fun but it really depends on the movie i guess maybe planet of the apes might count but not quite planet the way of, you're no, saying planet, planet of the apes was set up Planet well, no, it was set up. The, the, I agree. That's what I said. It doesn't over. work in the way you're saying. I say it. I agree. I just That's the closest I can think of. Well, speaking of Planet of the Apes, I do think as much as I love the ending of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, I think the last 10 seconds are phenomenal. It does kind of come out of nowhere. It it saves. There's your example of saving a movie. I, I don't think that's a good movie. I, I just don't. And uh, you and I personally had a conversation about actors controlling endings and maybe we can throw that in real quick that this is a oddly enough a good example of it normally i think it's a bad thing to give actors like i only do this movie if you kill me off and it's like then don't do the movie you know what i mean it, don't let an actor dictate it because every actor wants a death scene in movies and it's just irritating but this ending saves the whole movie it really does 
the ending essentially is Taylor sets off the bomb specifically to spite Dr. Zayas in his dying moments and blows up the entire planet. And you're going to go, well, that I didn't see coming. Yeah, it, it really is a shock. It's it's a genuine shock. You got these what a, what you thought was the last of humanity. I guess they are, but they're they're mutated and they worship a bomb. A human ends up detonating and destroying everything again. It's and just for spite. And isn't that the whole point of self-destruction? You know, it, it's, and, it's a perfect and, ending. It really is. And strangely enough, it ties into the beginning of the first film, Taylor's speech about how mankind will end up destroying itself because of nuclear weapons. It oddly enough ties back into the first movie, which makes the first two films really work together quite well, probably better than intended, honestly. It's funny, but that ending not only does what you're saying, but it also ended up bringing about, because they were caught in, like, we want to do another movie, what do we do? They ended up coming up with a scenario that was probably way better than it should have been for a series like this. I don't know. I didn't like Escape. That was a bad movie. Escape. Well, Planet Escape of the was the worst of the worst of the five. Well, the the next one, yes, and I, I tend to get the the names a little mixed. It was Conquest was number four, right? See, I, I'm not. I, I think I'm Battle confused. is four and Conquest is five. Okay, I, I always get those two backwards, but number four for those listening. I, four, four is the is 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 easily the best film in the franchise. I think one and four are just exceptional movies, and I could watch those. That those are two films. I go over to your house, and you say, "Hey, you want to watch one or four? I'm in. You know, I'm in. Uh, great movies, and that film is way better than it has any right to be. And it is a continuation of three. To be fair, you need three to make four happen. So I'm a little more forgiving of three. I don't think it's awful i just think it's deathly slow to the film's detriment it's it's got a profound message but it's not well executed thankfully though four comes along and saves it all it's like each friday the 13th movie wouldn't lead directly into the next one i mean yeah you had the tommy jarvis trilogy and stuff look at look at like empire strikes back's ending amazing ending a cliffhanger because obviously i i think we all know that lucas was very much in love with the cliffhangers of the old black and white serials and to actually dare to do that with empire. And they probably had a, a, an element of hubris because star Wars was so big by this point that they knew they were going to do a three. So figured let's take a chance. So we have to end this episode. So to sum it up, how important is the movie? It is, is a movie's ending. Obviously I know you're going to go, well, it depends on the movie. I mean, in general, mm -hmm. how important is the ending? Can you walk out of a film, let's just say a 90-minute movie, where you really enjoyed the first hour and 15 minutes and you hated the last 15 minutes and still go, yeah, it was a pretty good movie? I'll say, I can only think of one example right off the top of my head, the movie Red. Loved the movie, will still watch the movie, didn't care for the ending at all. Didn't hate it, didn't like it, still like the movie. But yeah, mostly I think you have to at least have something that feels like part of the story. It has to feel like it. Uh, what we said about good, the bad, and the ugly – that felt appropriate. It may not have been the most profound ending, the greatest ending, but it works for the story. If it doesn't work for the story, yeah, I think it can destroy the whole film. And over 90, well, over 95% of the time it does. 10 Cloverfield Lane is a perfect example of the ending working and, and profoundly altering the film, but at the same time, them not marketing it properly due to the ending. I'm not going to spoil what the ending is since the film's still in theaters. The last 15 minutes... If they had sold me that movie instead of the movie that was sold to me in the trailers, I would have been much more eager to see 10 Cloverfield Lane. If the, the plot twist had been even hinted at in the trailers, I would have been far more on board. And I think that movie was mismarketed because they were trying so hard to protect the twist ending that they forgot the twist ending is what's actually going to get people into theaters. So to me, 10 Cloverfield Lane is mismarketed, and that's because of its ending. And I think that is a perfect example of the ending being so important to a film that it's almost indispensable. So that said, to end this, Fred, where can people find you if they wish to? Currently still only at uh, the Movie Apocalypse on Facebook. That's it right now. Still working on something, but have something in the works right now for summer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, the Movie Apocalypse page will be the only place. It's not active, really. There's barely anybody on it because I haven't done anything in at least over two years. So it's a barren wasteland right now. But I will be making some announcements probably within the next two months. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Then for me, of course, you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
the snake to the lake, the ancient lake, baby. The snake is long, seven miles. Ride the snake, he's old. And his skin is cold The West is the best The West is the best Get here and we'll do the rest
This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end It hurts to set you free But you'll never follow Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.